On October 4th, the Human Rights Foundation's community reunited for the 2021 Oslo Freedom Forum at the New World Center in Miami. Guests from all corners of the globe joined together to discuss the year's most pressing human rights issues and to brainstorm new ways to expand freedom worldwide. Welcome to Dissidents and Dictators, a series of conversations by the Human Rights Foundation dedicated to exposing and challenging authoritarianism around the world. Our theme, Truth Ignited, sought to amplify the voices of those who speak truth to power and to ignite movements that seek justice and democracy and defy authoritarian regimes. The 2021 program featured inspiring talks by global activists, scholars, and journalists, including from Belarus, Burma, Cuba, Iraq, Nigeria, the Uyghur region, and Venezuela. These are their stories, united around a common cause of uncovering truth. This episode was recorded during the 2021 Oslo Freedom Forum, a global gathering of activists and dissidents united in standing up to tyranny. Since 2009, individuals have come from across the world to educate, share, and inspire at the Oslo Freedom Forum. You can watch this programming and more on the Oslo Freedom Forum YouTube or Facebook pages. Hello, my name is Steve Jurdson, and I am a venture capitalist from Silicon Valley, a bit different from the speakers you've heard so far today. I focus on technology, innovation, and the entrepreneurs that change the world for the better from the business sector in profound and meaningful ways, and increasingly shape the future that we live in, the fabric of society, and the structure of how we communicate. These entrepreneurs do amazing things. And the one message I have for you today is that freedom enables technology and innovation in a way that really defines progress in our world. It's the opposite of stasis. It's the opposite of the big getting bigger and things continuing as they always have. If you think about the major vectors of change in our world, the meaningful innovations on our planet, they always come from a new entry. They always come from someone entering a business they weren't in before. You can think of Tesla in the automotive sector, SpaceX in the aerospace sector. These are profound changes that are always led by new entrants. And I want to emphasize that. In business, it is always new entrants that lead meaningful change. Now, what do I mean by meaningful change? Change that history books would be written about. Not incremental little improvements in some oil and gas extraction process that maybe adds 5% efficiency to the bottom line. Who cares, right? We're talking about moving the human narrative forward. Those always come from new entrants. And it's kind of profound how quickly and powerfully that can happen. If I was to ask everyone in the room today, 20 years from now, what will be the most important business, the most important company on earth 20 years from now? And everyone was asked to pick a company and write it down, and we checked 20 years later. I'm willing to bet no one's right, which is cheeky. I don't know what you're going to guess. And the reason I feel confident of that is the most important company 20 years from now does not exist today. It hasn't even started. And if that seems hard to imagine looking forward, just look back 20 years. There was no Tesla. There was no SpaceX. They did not exist. They were not even a figment of our imagination. So meaningful, meaningful uh, innovation. Oh, if we can. Oh, wait. Let me go back one. OK, there we go. Um, is the focus area. And you might ask yourself, if it's always new entrants, how do they do that? Right? The big get bigger, they're powerful, they have money, they have brand, they have cash. How is it that a new entrant ever succeeds against the incumbents? And the answer is always some form of disruption. 
Now, the disruption can come from privatization of an industry. It could come from um, deregulation of an industry. It could come from a new channel of distribution like the internet or mobility, which come every so often, maybe every few decades in any given geography. But it's not the thing you can bet on year after year. It's not why venture capitalists in Silicon Valley keep investing year after year, despite those anomalies from time to time. Oh, by the way, a good financial disruption, fantastic for new entrants. All the disruption that, that large companies fear and that incumbents fear is great for new entrants, right? But there is one source of disruption that we perpetually count on year after year, decade after decade, and I would argue century after century, which is kind of a profound statement in a way, um, and that is technology's accelerating change as embodied in things like Moore's Law and the sense of future shock, that technology, this fundamental driver of innovation, keeps compounding. I'll mention Moore's Law in particular. It's uh, hard to see, don't worry about the labels on the dots, they're the best price performance computer of the day. The access is showing how much computational power a dollar can buy, inflation adjusted. So it basically says, how much bang for the buck can you get in computers? In computation, I could have plotted storage. And what's astounding is it has nothing to do with the Gordon Moore co-founder of Intel observed. It's nothing to do with integrated circuits, it has nothing to do with Intel. It is a profound trend spanning many different technology substrates you see at the top of the slide. Right? Devices that predicted Eisenhower's win, devices that helped crack the Nazi Enigma code in World War II. Dare I say the computer that helped beat a certain chess player a few years back. And uh, this frontier is exogenous to the economy. The Great Depression, World War I, World War II have had no impact on humanity's continually compounding capacity to compute. It is a proxy for the information sector, of information technology in general, and it's been going on for over 120 years. By the way, this is a logarithmic scale. A straight line is an exponential, this is a double exponential. Over this time period, we're looking at a 10,000 quadrillion improvement in power for a buck. That's what's driving technology. We sort of know it intuitively. I think this is the most important thing ever graphed. And so I want that to sink in for a moment because it ripples through every industry, right? There are transformations underfoot. Every vehicle will become an autonomous vehicle. It's the software stack that matters. Same is true for every product made by SpaceX. All these industries are transforming into information technology businesses, meaning the way they compete is gonna be based on IT. They do this by transforming to software-centric businesses and by using simulation to innovate much more rapidly than ever before, right? Think of life sciences and medicine becoming trial and error experimentation to a data-driven, simulation-driven science. Give you just one example, gene sequencing and all the excitement about the genomics revolution, reading and writing the DNA of life. Well, in the dotted bright pink line, you see again on a semi-logged curve, this dramatic drop in the cost to read DNA, entirely driven by Moore's law. In fact, Craig Venner in 2001 beat the US government in a matter of months in sequencing the human genome by realizing if you randomly break it up and use computers to reassemble it, you can decode the code of life more efficiently than ever before. By analogy, it'd be like shredding a library of books and letting the computers figure out how to reconstruct it later. That was a leap of faith that made all this possible in the big genomics CRISPR revolution that we're currently underway. So, why? If it's not chips, if it's not Intel, if this technology acceleration thing has nothing to do with semiconductors, why does technology accelerate? And here's a simple framework. There were two books that came out a couple years ago in the same time that made the argument that every good idea is a recombination of prior ideas. Nobody just has an idea in a vacuum. Think of Nikola Tesla and Edison and Marconi at that moment simultaneously investing, inventing rather, across the planet, you know, radio and uh, AC induction motors and lighting. The time was right based on electricity and magnetism that came before, right? That was when these ideas were ripe and they happened simultaneously. Well, if every idea is a combination of new ideas, of prior ideas, think about the universe of N ideas, the possible recombinations within that grows combinatorially. It grows as two to the nth power, it's called Reed's Law, 
It's a simple notion, of course. With more ideas to recombine, you have more advancement. Now, interestingly, throughout history, that has been localized. Think about great books like Guns, Germs, and Steel that say, hey, wait, this region figured out agriculture. This region figured out gunpowder before others. And how long it took for technology to diffuse across the planet regionally? The history of nations can be told around that. When we get towards the end of my talk, I'm going to be showing how dramatically that's changing now with the internet and ideas are cross-pollinating like never before. And that's an exciting time. So again, every idea is a combination of prior ideas, the global pool's expanding, combinatory explosion of new invention. So it's going to just keep going. The writer, uh, Matt Ridley from the UK, said it most eloquently and memorably for a cocktail conversation, the ideas are having sex like never before. And we are merely the vessels. They're sometimes called memes, not in the way our kids talk about it, but the way the old people talk about it. Ideas, we are the vessels for ideas. And of course, when we get to human rights and freedom, those are a battlefield of ideas that we're underway. So what is my main point and how it relates to the conference today? I argue that freedom enables technology, and that is synonymous with progress. Not all progress, of course, but increasing percentage of all progress comes from technology. It is an iterative algorithm. We learn. We learn in culture over long time frames. We learn about better governance and human flourishing over long time frames. And we learn about just about everything else in technology in really rapid, ever accelerating time frames. Now, to remind you of one point I made earlier, all the meaningful change is disruptive. You can't count on the incumbents, the majority, the people in charge, the people who would like things to continue the way they were to make any of this happen. It's a new entrant that always drives it. So, it depends on the free flow of ideas and experimentation. If the people in charge could prevent the free flow of ideas, they would stay in charge. This is, of course, anathema to them. But that's why the forward-looking governments and regions of the world that realize the, govern the juggernaut of innovation requires freedom. And there's some specifics of how that might happen. You might want privacy. I love this reference or this definition of privacy as a human right, the right to express minority opinions, whether personal, business, or otherwise. If you can't explore things without fear of retribution, online or in the private discourse, you can't innovate nearly as easily. It's super important to protect that. The blockchain and other conversations going on here at this event help propagate that further. Whether it's VPNs from companies like Orchid or payment systems from MobileCoin and others, there's ways in which, hopefully in the near future, we'll be able to route around governance and route around uh, surveillance. The ability to learn and do new things also relies on the movement of peoples. So the labor law in California doesn't allow you to persecute someone who goes off and starts a new company. It's unenforceable to have an employment contract. That's really helped California, even over the East Coast, innovate more rapidly because there's a free flowing of peoples. Of course, there's immigration, right? The vast majority of startups in Silicon Valley are started by first or second generation immigrants, companies like Intel and Google and Tesla and SpaceX. Also capital, you know, to be able to explore those ideas, I would love to see a further democratization of sources of capital beyond the venture capitalists are pretty inefficient, like me doing my job day to day, and that is coming. There are a number of companies looking to automate the provision of capital. One quick aside, if you have an authoritarian regime, you have stagnation. That iterative algorithm can't possibly go as quickly if you're stopping the free expression of ideas. It's really endemic to a people's. And if you look at China and its rate of innovation, it has nothing to do with the creativity of the people. The Chinese immigrants to America are as creative or more so than anyone we have in Silicon Valley. The engineers working for Microsoft are some of the most creative within that organization, but not within an authoritarian regime. So lastly, I want to leave with one last thought, which is if ideas are the vector of progress, and we are the vessels of those ideas, 
The way in which we can communicate with each other is super important. The internet, as Matt Ridley pointed out, has been a boom to the interpopulation of ideas. What's coming next? Satellite links to stations like, ground stations like you see on the right. Dishes, small devices from companies like Swarm, it's soon directly to a cell phone. That would ride around governance objections. That would ride around censorship. The ability to go directly from a cell phone to a satellite for tech services is in development and soon upon us. Think what that will do for freedom fighters around the world. How often do the government try to shut down communication during an uprising? But it's also important, I believe, in an even more profound way. We're gonna bring the next three billion people online to broadband communication sooner than anyone had forecasted. They're currently disconnected subsistence farmers. They're gonna be part of the global dialogue. They'll have ideas, they'll do online education. They're gonna be able to populate ideas and be a vector for progress like never before. So I will predict that in the next five to 10 years, we'll see more progress because we're connecting people online than ever before. So I wanna end with a thanks. I wanna thank all the freedom fighters we've heard from today and those who weren't able to be here today. They are standing up for something more important than what they themselves hope to achieve. They aren't seeking power. They aren't trying to take the mantle from others. They're trying to establish a system, right? A better process for freedom to percolate, for innovation to percolate, for technologies to flourish, for the betterment of all. That is a very selfless stance. And in the end, it is a battle of ideas. The ideas of dictatorship, the ideas of freedom. And in that battle, I also wanna thank the Human Rights Foundation for spreading the word for the fight for good, the fight for freedom, and those people among us who will forge a better future. Thank you.